Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of Roar Lions Roar. I'm your host, Bill DeFilfo, joined tonight by my co-host, Nick Pollock. Nick, how are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. I'm sporting my uh, Roar, former Roar Lions Roar store uh, ruining college hockey t-shirt because I think today is the first day of Penn State hockey. It's either their media day or the first day of media availability or something. So tossing a little shout out to Penn State hockey today. Interesting. I am wearing a generic black Nike hoodie because I mm. had to feed my nephew uh, earlier today. And uh, my nephew, as a five-month-old, has this penchant for burping up things he just ate. So I wanted something generic that if it got puke on it, I wouldn't care. Uh, I wish there was a way that I could segue that into talking about Penn State playing Northwestern. Uh, but we're not talking about that today. Uh, this is our midweek show uh, on the heels of Penn State's win over Central Michigan and the Lions moved 4-0 on the season. They are now done with their non-conference slate, having gotten through that unscathed and, of course, started the season with a Big Ten road game against Purdue. And what we're going to do today is we're going to take a second and just talk about how we feel about the team compared to our preseason expectations. Now that we've gotten past the first, uh, I'd say, big mile marker, September uh, for in terms of this team's schedule is over. Uh, we know what this team's is after the non-conference. And we're going to look back before we look ahead. And we're going to look ahead by Nick and I both listed out three re- reasons why we think Penn State can and cannot compete to win the Big Ten this season. We'll figure out how we're going to make that all work out in a second. Uh, we didn't do much planning for that part of this, but I think it's pretty easy to talk about that, just like it's pretty easy to talk about where this Penn State team is right now. Again, Nick, 4-0, beat Purdue, beat Ohio, beat Auburn, beat Central Michigan. And compared to your preseason expectations of this team, how are you feeling right now about the 2022 Penn State Nittany Lions? Yeah, I mean, I feel good. We talked about this a bit last week as well. kind of in the aftermath of the Auburn win, whether or not it kind of changed our thoughts going forward. And I think then I said, you know, I, I was somebody who probably would have said nine and three before the season. And now I've, you know, naturally moved over to kind of 10 and two, since I was assuming one loss probably in those first three games between Purdue and Auburn. But yeah, I mean, I, I feel, I feel really good about this roster and it's something that we've talked about as we went through the position previews in the preseason. Like as we were going through, I was realizing like, boy, there aren't a lot of holes here. Like this is a pretty complete football team. And I think that they have shown that through the first four weeks of the season. Like they have shown growth in the areas we wanted to see growth. We've seen, you know, we've seen quality depth start to be built at several different spots. Like this is a really just well-built and well-rounded football team. And I, I think, 10 and two is probably still the safe um, prediction, especially given that Minnesota looks pretty good. Um, That's going to be a really tough stretch Mm. of games there, but I mean, 11 and one is very much on the table. And, you know, as we'll talk about the big 10 is also very much on the table. So I, I don't know how you can't feel pretty good about this team right now. It's weird uh, because I feel more confident than I expected to about every single game but Michigan and Ohio State. Or mm-hmm. com- compared to where it was at the beginning of the season, I felt more co- I felt like Penn State was going to lose those games. I still feel like Penn State is going to lose those games. And then I thought there were four or five potential swing games on the schedule. Purdue, Auburn, Minnesota, Maryland, 
Michigan State. And, and, you know, I'm defining swing games pretty loosely. Like, if you're playing it by the odds, we'll say the games where I think Penn State has uh, lower than a 65% chance of winning. Um, I feel real – it has changed in that I feel a lot better about Penn State's last month of the season. At Indiana, Maryland, at Rutgers, Michigan State, those are three teams that I don't think are especially good – and one team in Maryland that I think does one thing really well, and Penn State is very well suited to stop them from doing that one thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. My concern, it still is Michigan and Ohio State. I still think those two are losses. I'm now more concerned about the Minnesota game, and that is more because of what Minnesota has done than anything. When it co- So in kind of the macro, I thought this was a 9-3, and 8-4 and four season for Penn State I would say that has changed for me in that I don't think they're going to go eight and four I would nine and three is tough because I really do respect this Minnesota team but now we've gotten to a point where I feel like 10 and two is the most likely outcome and to that extent it's changed the stuff that you've mentioned Nick about how they've built up depth on how good their top end talent is on what this team is able to do at their best are all things that have surpassed what I thought coming into the season. So wh- let me let me ask you this, because I think this is an interesting question. Okay. Do you think what this Penn State team is at his its best lines up with what you thought they were going to be coming into the season at their best? Or do you think they have managed to surpass that? Do you think uh, they haven't quite been able to reach that mark? Just what do you think about that? I would say, I think the best version of this team that we've seen so far is probably better than what I thought they would have been coming into the season. And I, it's partially just because, you know, we talked all offseason about how the secondary looked like it was going to be really good, but you never know for sure with a secondary, especially. Um, but they look truly elite. Um, but I think the big thing for me is the just the run game because we had high hopes for the run game coming into the season, but Singleton and uh, Nicholas Singleton and Katron Allen have just totally revolutionized that unit. And I don't think that even in my most optimistic projection, I would have thought that we would have had three 100 yard rushing games out of two freshman backs three weeks in a row. I just mm-hmm. didn't, I, I wouldn't have predicted that. And they're, they're just, they're far more balanced on offense than I think I would have even optimistically projected them to be. So I think their, their best is better than what I would have expected mm. coming in. Interesting because I think that, like I generally agree um, that which isn't to say that I don't think this team is flawless. I think I candidly think this team has uh, some flaws that have the potential to cause it some bitty, pretty big issues. And we will talk about those in a minute. Uh, I just looked it up. Penn state has more rushing touchdowns this season than Ohio state does, which I did not see. They have, they have far fewer passing touchdowns, but more rushing touchdowns. So that's nice. Uh, But what I will say is I think that the passing game is a little bit worse than I expected. And I don't necessarily mean that as like, you know, uh, you have to burn everything down. I just expected the passing game to have a little bit more explosiveness to it. And they, you know, they've been a lot more safe, a lot more secure. And that's led to some really good things for Penn State. Uh, The rushing game is the big thing. And this is where, 
you know, I think on balance, I think the passing game a little bit worse, the rushing game a lot better. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of the ball, the run defense about what I expected, the pass defense a little bit better. So to that extent, uh, I think they've at their best, they've surpassed that. But I, I only got a chance to watch a little bit of the central Michigan game. I only got a chance to watch, uh, you know, whatever I had pulled up on my phone and then uh, the 30 minute highlight video. But it does seem to me, Nick, uh, like if there is one thing that concerns me just kind of broadly about this team before we get into the more specific stuff here in a second, uh, I just don't love the lulls that this team is sometimes able to hit. I mean, they uh, went through, stri- they've gone through stretches in each game and central Michigan, they were a little bit longer and I think there are pretty good reasons for that. And you guys have uh, talked about why that's the case. I just don't like that there are times when it seems like they have to remind themselves to flip a switch. And that is really the one thing, kind of the big, broad, overarching thing that concerns me about this team. Yeah, and I think that the lulls, one, yeah, they definitely are still still, um, Mm -hmm. a thing for this offense. And I, I think it mostly comes down to the fact that they... You know, if they have a negative play on a drive, not that any offense doesn't struggle to recover from negative plays, but this offense seems to really struggle when mm-hmm. they have even a play that goes for nothing. It really does seem to be difficult for them to still fight back and move the chains afterwards. Um, but for me, it's, it's you know, momentum in sports is such a weird topic, but right when you for me looking at the receivers i i think the receivers have been a step worse than what i expected coming in and it's mostly because the dropped passes are back like they're it's not as bad as it was in um 2020 and last year was a bit better 2020 was bad um so it's not quite that level but the the receiving core as a whole seems to just kind of like when one guy drops a pass suddenly it, there's multiple guys dropping passes. And we saw that on Saturday. We saw mm-hmm. um, uh, Trey Wallace wasn't able to bring one in over the middle. Then Mitchell Tinsley dropped um, what was a, I mean, it was a low throw, but it was away from the defender. Should have been a fourth down conversion on a pass from Clifford. We saw Amari Evans just kind of get lost a little bit on a deep ball from Clifford that he probably should have caught. It's just like, to me, that's where the lull really sets in is the receiver mm-hmm. is just kind of, occasionally it seems like they just lose focus a bit and again this past weekend they were liam clifford was in on the third offensive drive like they were rotating a ton (laughs) very quickly yeah um no just to liam clifford had an amazing catch later in the game on a decent throw from drew aller um but that's that's kind of what i what i think about when i think about the lulls is it kind of comes back to the receivers they're just like a step slow sometimes in getting open. They're not quite as, um, you know, they're just not, they're just not John Dotson. Like they don't have right. the ability to separate the way that he did, which um, is fine. Like John Dotson was a first round NFL draft pick for a reason. And the, they could get there still, but that's when I think about the lulls, that's what I think about. Yeah. And I think now's a good time to, well, going to be a good time in about a second to dive into Penn State and its plays in the Big Ten. But first, we want to thank our sponsor for today's episode of the podcast, Home Field Apparel. 
Uh, Y'all know about home field already from listening to the pod and being uh, college football fans on the internet. Home field, premium collegiate apparel brand based out of Indianapolis. They are right in Big Ten country. They know all about how disgusting Big Ten football is like everyone else. Uh, They uh, are fans of the three and one. Indiana Hoosiers. The Hoosiers, of course, wins over Illinois, Idaho, and Western Kentucky this season before uh, they played Cincinnati, which, as it turns out, is not fun. But what is fun is purchasing shirts from Homefield Apparel. They are comfortable, they are unique, and the people at Homefield make sure that the designs that they put on their shirts make you feel a little bit closer to that school that you love, or a school that you might not love but are interested in, like their Slippery Rock shirt. I own a Hawaii shirt. I've never been to Hawaii, but the shirt is great. Of course, Penn State has its own line of gear through home field apparel. There are 15 pieces of apparel, t-shirts, sweatshirts, hoodies. They're all great. And if you were a new customer, you could use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, to get 15% off of your first order. Again, new customers at home field apparel can use the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order. Thank you very much to Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let's, Nick, before talk Before about you Penn. continue really quickly, because you mentioned Indiana football. Did you watch Monday Night Football last night? I assume you did because it was Saquon and Micah. I assume oh. you did. I, I know exactly what you're going to mention, yes. <laughs> Peyton Hendershot c- catches like a Peyton Hendershot, former future Penn Stater. Um, went for like a 12-yard gain or something like that. And Joe Buck says, making the Indiana Hoosiers proud. And Aikman says, doesn't take much, does it? Just so I, unnecessary. God. It's so funny. Listen, man, he does... Troy Aikman is just kind of like, he kind of just vibes in and out of game. He's gonna, <laughs> don't get me wrong. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman both really great at their job. It will forever be weird to me that they are doing Monday Night Football. Yes. But when Troy Aikman feels like it, that man will kill you. Mm-hmm. He's so good at just getting those little like snide remarks in. And deciding that he was going to body Indiana football uh, really caught me off guard in large part because you think you don't have to body Indiana football. They'll I don't find know a way to why. Do I don't know why it is, too. It's just his voice. Everything sounds harsher just with his voice and the way he <laughs> speaks. I don't know what it is, but brutal. Oh, God. Brutal was, evisceration was, of the Hoosiers on national it was, television. Uh, it was very funny. Uh, by the way, uh, I don't know if you've seen him play football before, but uh, the Giants have a guy by the name of Saquon Barkley who, woo! And it's a swell fellow. Saquon looks great. Micah, like... Listen, I don't say poor Daniel Jones for a lot of things. Uh, that is a uh, beast of the Giants' own making. Uh, but man, Micah decided he was just going to make sure that young man had a really bad afternoon. He's uh, he didn't. Two, I don't think he even yeah. had a sack. Like perfect no. representation of how you can completely change a football game despite register. I think he only had like one tackle. Like not on the stat sheet. Yeah, at all. there was there was one uh, moment in the game where he uh, he got double teamed. And he put Glowinski on his back with one arm. Glowinski yeah, is blew, a good guard. He blew up a double team and then a running back steps in and he just throw. It wasn't Saquon. It was a, uh, who was it? Uh, it was Matt Breida yeah. and just throws him to the side and Jones has to get rid of it or else he's getting put six feet under. But uh, yeah, really, uh, really good representation by Penn Staters on uh, Monday night football on uh well as of this recording last night uh let's talk about penn state in the big 10 uh the big 10 is weird 
this year. Yes. You look at the Big Ten East, Michigan, Ohio State, Penn State, all potentially elite programs. I, I, I will say Michigan and Ohio State are elite programs, Penn State potentially elite programs. And then Indiana, Maryland, Rutgers, Michigan State, just a lot of flotsam in the bottom of the division. Over in the West, Minnesota looks phenomenal. Iowa, Northwestern, Illinois, Purdue, Wisconsin, Nebraska all have issues to one extent or another. And what I want to do, Nick, is break down the three reasons why you and I think Penn State cannot compete for the Big Ten. You give one, I give one, we'll just go back and forth. And then we'll do the other side of that. Three reasons why Penn State can compete for the Big Ten. You could view this as a broad thing when you look at the entire conference. You could view this as uh, just looking at Penn State's stature in the Big Ten East. You could look at this in terms of one game by one game by one game, by Penn State's roster, by blah, blah, blah. However you want to define this, go ahead and define this. So what is your number one reason why you think Penn State cannot compete for the Big Ten this season? Reason number one is just the the way the schedule shakes out as far as Michigan, Minnesota, mm-hmm. and Ohio State. But more importantly, Ohio State is just still really good. And Michigan, yep. I'm less sure how good they are, but they're also probably still really, really good. Like, that's the biggest roadblock for Penn State here, is that they can, like, Penn State has shown awesome growth. They are really taking a nice step forward as a program, but they are still a step below where Ohio State is. Doesn't mean they can't beat them. Right. But just, you know, overall Mm -hmm. program health, Ohio State is still in a better place. And I think if you assess program health at large, Penn State is probably in a better place than Michigan, considering Michigan's recruiting efforts recently have not been great. But I think Michigan, as it stands right now, is still you have to consider them the second best team in the division, I think. Um, And, you know, if J.J. McCarthy is what he seems like he could be then they could very well challenge Ohio State again. So that's the biggest roadblock for me is just those two teams are still really, really good. Mm-hmm. I I agree with you on that. I, that. That was one of my reasons, so I'll uh, lop that one off of my list. I don't know, I'll just start with that one, whatever. Uh, I just put down that the rest, the best in the Big Ten is just good. You mentioned that stretch in the middle of October. Penn State plays Northwestern this week before getting its bye. At Michigan, which has been a little shop of horrors for Penn State in recent years, versus Minnesota, it's the whiteout. It is in Happy Valley. But this Minnesota team has proven to be one of the most dangerous on both sides of the ball in all of college football. Then Ohio State the week after, again, it is in Beaver Stadium. But still, that is a tough game. There is... There is a world where Penn State goes 0-3 in that stretch. And I I don't think that's going to happen, but like I don't think it's hard to envision a world where that happens. And then, you know, I mentioned at the beginning of the pod, Penn State's November becomes considerably easier. We've seen a nasty habit that James Franklin teams get have is that when they get on a losing streak, they can struggle to get out of one. And while I don't think Indiana is very good, the potential of losing three games in a row and then going to Bloomington for what is almost certainly going to be a sleepy noon kick sucks. Having to follow that up by playing a Maryland team that is going to throw the ball and pick up yards through the air sucks. So that really concerns me. I was actually looking at this on SP+. Ohio State's the number two team in the country in SP+. 
Michigan, number four, Minnesota, number seven, Penn State, number 10. The only other teams that have a difficult portion of their schedule that is quite like that, there are two of them. One is going to be Auburn because Auburn plays Georgia every single year and then plays Ole Miss and uh, plays Ole Miss and Alabama in their conference <laughs> games. The other is going to be Mississippi State because Georgia is their crossover game in conference. And then, of course, they are they play Alabama at Ole Miss. The difference is that – well, the difference is that Auburn has at Georgia, at Ole Miss, and then a month until they go to Alabama. Now, that month sucks, but it's still a month in between those games. Klanga, they have Alabama – then Auburn, at Alabama, then Auburn, then Georgia, then uh, East Tennessee, and then at Ole Miss. So it's at least broken up a little bit for them, and it's not just that constant wave of tough football team after tough football team. So mm. I don't love that portion of Penn State. Do, do you think it is crazy to imagine that by the time the Indiana game rolls around, we're talking about a Penn State team that is on a three-game losing streak, Nick? No, no, it's not crazy at all. Yeah. I. I agree that I think it's probably unlikely. I think they, I'd be surprised if they lost all three of those, but it's certainly on the table. Like Minnesota looks, we know we talked about Michigan, Ohio state, Minnesota looks great. Like they, yeah, again, they've played a really soft schedule. Yes. I'm including you in that Michigan state to this point, but you know, they've taken, they've care done of what good things are supposed schedule. to do. They have right. done what good teams are supposed to do against that level of competition. Right. And the last time that, you know, Tanner Morgan and Kirk Shiraka were the quarterback offense coordinator combination at Minnesota, they did some pretty awesome things. Yeah. So you can't, you certainly can't take that game for granted or take them lightly because they're a really good football team. Yeah. And they have one of the best uh, running backs in the country, Mohamed Ibrahim. Uh, that'll be a thing that I'm going to mention in a second. But Nick, what is your second reason for pessimism? Second one would be that I think Penn State's offense is good, and I'll add the caveat, I think they can very much still improve, but it's definitely not elite. And when we're looking at the other teams that you're going against, Ohio State has an elite offense. And more importantly, every team that has won the Big Ten since the since this most recent iteration of the Big Ten with the championship game, the team that's won can always do at least one thing at an elite level on offense. Like Ohio State, you know, they're typically elite all the way around, and it's usually them who ends up carrying the flag. But, you know, we think about that, um, the Penn State team that won, I would say that was a pretty elite passing game considering you had, what, I think three different guys who were above 60 catches. I don't know one of them was Saquon, but that's a big deal. Um, mm -hmm. And then Michigan last year, not elite passing-wise, but a very, very elite run game. I don't think that Penn State has any facet of the offense right now that i would call elite i i mean maybe it could be the run game at some point um but i think it's a good unit just not one that is quite at the level that we've seen is necessary to win the conference to this point yeah and i for me i just have listed bill c run game stuff uh, in a recent piece for espn our pal bill Connolly broke down the potential fatal flaws for the, the tops for 16 top playoff contenders and penn states he put was ground inefficiency and i'm just going to read a portion of this uh penn state has michigan uh minnesota and ohio state go to happy valley after that trip in terms of rushing success rate 
all three opponents rank in the top five on offense and in the top 21st, top 21 on defense. Penn State in those two categories, 98 and 98th and 97th, respectively. So basically, Penn State has been really good when it is running the ball at getting big plays in the running game. But when it comes to churning out four, five, six yards on the ground, that's been a bit of an I think uh, Katron Allen's been pretty good at that. Nick Singleton, we saw this past week, still has some issues with that. Something that's going to come with time. Penn State's yeah. offensive line had a really good game against Auburn, but it's just a matter of I need to see it for 60 minutes against a good team before I fully believe it. Yep. Uh, Penn State's run. Uh, uh, one quick thing that I went back and pulled up uh, while we were, you know, before we started talking. Penn State on third down this year, and I think this is a good reflection of the issues they have in the running game at just getting those easy four, five, six yards. 36% of Penn State's third downs are getting converted. That is 86th nationally. Last year, that number was 38.97%. The year before, 42.11%. Year before that, 42.4%. Year before that, 37.14%. This has so far been Penn State's worst offense at converting third downs. The average distance on third down against Central Michigan before Clifford came out was about eight and a half yards. They had three third and fives or shorter, eight third and sixes or longer. And they just have to stop being their own worst enemy with this stuff. And I think the running game is the big way that they can go about doing that. That's just on offense. On defense, listen, Penn State's front seven has problems. I mean, as much as I love P.J. Mustafer. As much as I like Hakeem Beeman, as much as I like Penn State's ends, as much as I think Penn State's linebackers have some promise, that unit has to be better against the run going forward. It cannot have, uh, it, it cannot just allow big plays in the running game. Like that is not okay. It cannot allow Mich- Central Michigan's top rusher to run for 5.2 yards per carry. Like, this is the thing that big thing that has to get fixed. Uh, I think that this week against Northwestern is going to be a decent chance to do that because while they, you know they're not a great offensive team, uh, I think Evan Hall and Cam Porter they've shown some stuff at earlier points this season, especially in that game against Nebraska. Of yeah, how Hall they looked, can Hall looked be, pretty good against Nebraska. Yeah, of how they could just be effective runners, and I think if Penn State can tighten up its run defense and a and get teams in situations where it has to try and throw on this secondary, get teams off schedule. So they have to try and throw on this secondary. And then on offense, again, especially Nick Singleton, because I think Katron Allen's a bit better at this. Just go. I don't need to get 15, 16, 17 yards. I can get four five, six yards. It's a thing every young running back has to deal with. I think that'll sort itself out, but I think this is going to be a problem, especially against teams like Ohio State that are going to score, like Michigan that are going to score, like Minnesota that are going to try and grind them to dust. Just stu- it, it, it's If there is an issue, a canary in the coal mine, so to speak, on what is going to be a fatal flaw for this Penn State team, I think that's going to be one of them. Uh, and, Nick, you know, quite frankly, that's been their issue for the entirety of the James Franklin era, really. Like, mm. that, was, that was an issue during the Moorhead years, too, when the offense was cooking. Like, they still were not an efficient team efficiency has just never been the name of their game and i wonder if at a certain point it's just kind of a decision that they're willing to forego that in order to try to generate big plays um 
But no, you're totally right. Yeah, efficiency is certainly not the calling card of this unit. All right, Nick, third one. What are you going to say? Third one I was going to say here is that I think that the defense, and this kind of goes to that point, I think the defense is probably still a little susceptible to some big plays here and there, and we just haven't really seen a team that has the ability to challenge them on that front. Um, I mean, we I, I guess you could say we did kind of see it this past weekend um, with Central Michigan because Central Michigan had like six or seven one-handed catches, just a ridiculously absurd number of highlight reel grabs. And a good number of them bought off, bought, huh, bit off some big chunks. Um, but for as good as the secondary is, we've talked about how Manny Diaz's blitzing is going to leave them on islands a lot. And as good as they are, they're not going to be perfect, especially when you're going up against, say, Ohio State's receiving core. Like, there are going to be big plays against this team, both in the passing game and in the running game. And I think that they are, at some point down the line, they are going to hurt more than they have um, to this point. Um, And it's possible that at some point it becomes a backbreaker and a game changer. So, I love I I don't want it to, I don't want that to be um taken as I am disappointed about this defense. I love this defense. I think that everything I think everything Manny Diaz has done to this point is mostly outstanding. I love the personnel. They certainly have room to improve, but I really love this defense. But I think that they do still have it in them to give up some big plays against teams like Ohio State and Michigan. Yeah, that's fair. And for me, I'm going to say I'm a little bit concerned about explosiveness in their passing game. I think that they have a lot of pass catchers. Parker Washington, Brenton Strange, Mitchell Tinsley are, you know, kind of the holy trinity here. Uh, I think there are guys who are really good at finding pockets of space and getting open and making something happen there. I don't know if any of them, if they really have the kind of guy in general who is good at going out there, taking the top off of a defense and just, you know, causing them uh, that way of being able to uh, generate big plays. I think of uh, something that Thomas Frank Carr wrote over at BWI in his write-up about uh, Penn State against uh, the cover zero that Central Michigan threw out there. Clifford is two for 15 on deep passes. That's 13.3%. For his career, he's a 30% deep thrower. Last season, 36% of his deep balls. So I see that stuff and I hear that stuff and I think, okay, what is the problem? And maybe part of it is simply that Clifford the last couple of years knew he could throw a ball, throw a ball up there and Jahan Dotson would go get it. KJ Hamler would go get it. What, you know, whatever came of it. What I think is probably more likely is that they don't really have a guy who's able to go out there and just stretch a defense. Uh, I don't think it's necessarily a coincidence that the true freshman who has seen the most run among their pass catchers is Omari Evans, the guy who has the track speed, who could go out there and, uh, you know, take the top off the defense, create some uh, pockets for Parker Washington, Brenton Strange, Mitchell Tinsley to exist in. You, I mean, you think of their biggest play in the passing game this year. It was Brent, Brenton Strange catching and running against uh, 
against Purdue. And that came where he caught the ball 25, 30 yards down the field. And then, you know, just some really bad tackling by Purdue and some really good running at from him. So that's one of the things I'm going to keep an eye on because that has been one of the things that has defined the best versions of Penn State football is they have guys who can go out there, get behind a defense, make those big plays, you know, uh, give the offense that shot of confidence, maybe, uh, maybe deflate a defense a little bit, deflate an opposing crowd a little bit, that sort of thing. I have faith in Sean Clifford to be able, if he is a, if he's gets those guys and they start telling him to throw to those guys to make those plays, maybe they simply just don't think they have needed to go to that. Well, and they haven't been calling that stuff. I don't know, but just a little something that I'm going to dog ear as we move forward. Cause it's something that I've noticed. There have been some stats to back up, you know, confirm my prior and uh, just, it has me a little bit queasy, Nick. I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to put this on the record. Now, next time Amari Evans gets a deep ball like that and every other deep ball Amari Evans gets like that going forward, he's not dropping him anymore. I adore mm-hmm. Amari Evans. He, I don't, I, I think I still love Keandre Lambert Smith more. I still am a big KLS believer, but I really, really like what Amari Evans brings to the table. And I hope that they continue to find ways to involve him. Cause I think he can be that guy. I hope this is because it says a lot about him that he is playing a lot Yeah, and not, you know, fingers crossed that's the case and it's not, Ooh, we're a little bit nervous. We don't love what we've, uh, what we've seen out of the rest of our guys. So there's the negative stuff. There's the stuff that doesn't make us particularly happy, Nick. Let's talk about the stuff that we do like. Let's talk about the stuff that uh, if December rolls around and Penn State is right there in the Big Ten title hunt, we think we're going to be able to look back on and go, that's it. So what is the first reason why you have jotted down why you think Penn State can compete to win the Big Ten this year? I think the first thing has to be the secondary. The secondary that was is, on my list. It's amazing. I mean, they they have somehow been even better than I am Matt. And I was, you know, I was, a, I'm a fan. I'm imagining great things coming into the season, but they are legitimately what Joey Porter, Jr. Kalen King, Johnny Dixon, Marquise Wilson. Like they're legitimately Daquan Hardy, like five really good players deep at corner. They are at least, at least four guys deep at safety between Jair Brown, Zaki Wheatley, um, uh, Jalen Reed, Keaton Ellis. I think we I, we know that they want to get KJ Winston involved more. He just hasn't really had the opportunities yet, but we know they like him a lot. Like the secondary is amazing, and the I know we've all seen the stats about how they're what are they like sixteen passes defended ahead of the next oh, team or don't, something don't, like that. Keep, keep talking. I have these all pulled up for when you're done. Okay, cool. Um, I know we've all seen those numbers and, you know, part of it. Yeah. They played Purdue. Purdue throws the ball a lot. Yes. They've played in multiple blowouts. When you're blowing another team out, they're going to throw the ball more, but like none of the, like (laughs) all these pass breakups, all these interceptions are like very few of them are like the kind of pass breakups where like the quarterback throws behind the receiver and the defensive back just barely knocks. So like, like, no, most of them have been legitimately, really good plays yep. by the secondary. They, they, do, they also uh, started doing this thing, which yeah. I really enjoy. No flies. Uh, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, you know, to beat Ohio State, yeah, you also have to stop Ohio State's run game. 
But if you can shut down CJ Stroud and Marvin Harrison Jr. and Emeka Ibuka and uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, if you can shut that group down, and I think Penn State has as good a chance of anyone to do that with the guys they have, all of a sudden that game is now very gettable. Um, and ditto with Michigan. Like if you can make it, if you can make Michigan one dimensional even more so than they really already are. But if you can take away the passing game and really just get to focus on the run game, which is still really good because Blake Corum is really good, but it's not as good as it was last year because they don't have Hassan Haskins anymore. Suddenly everything is there on the table for Penn State. Like this secondary has to be the leading reason why they can win this conference. Yeah, I I don't think they're shutting down Ohio State, but I think they have as good of a chance to slow Ohio State down as just about anyone in the country. Right. I'm just so this is on my list, and I'm it was actually the number one reason on my list. Uh, I'm going to read some stats now. Uh, Penn State, tenth nationally in completion percentage allowed at fifty one point three percent. Penn State, eighteenth nationally. Uh, no tie. Yeah, tied for eighteenth nationally in yards per attempt allowed at five point eight. Penn State. 13th nationally in opponent passer rating in 102.96. Penn State, despite all of this, is last in the country in attempts faced per game. No con- no team in America ha- gets thrown on more than Penn State, which has had 47.3 passes per game against it. Despite this, like you mentioned, Nick, you brought up the stat. Penn State, 45 passes defended on this season. Uh, that is 14 more than Illinois, who is in second passes defended for game. Penn State's at 11.25, which is 3.25 more than the next closest team. Passes broken up. Penn State's at 41. Illinois, second at 25. Individual passes defended. Joey Porter Jr., first in the country with nine. You go down, Johnny Dixon tied for ninth with sixth. Also in there, Kalen King, who has six. Keaton Ellis has defended five passes on his own. This is all happening, Nick, despite the fact that, you know, Penn State's pass rush has been good. It's at 11 sacks on the season, which is 24th nationally. It's uh, nine fewer than first place Arkansas. It's about 2.75 sacks per game. But teams are getting the chance to throw on Penn State, and Penn State's secondary is responding by just shooing everything away. And I don't know how you could be anything other than optimistic. Uh, you know, Ohio State, Ohio State's going to be a really tough game. Ohio State's a best pa- best offense in the country, best passing offense specifically in the country. Minnesota, Tanner Morgan is competing completing 77% of his passes, 886 yards, 11.2 yards per attempt. Despite the fact that they lost Chris Altman Bell, they just have churned out more dudes. Uh, Michael Brown Stevens has been good for them. Their tight end, Brevin Spanford, has been good for them. Dylan Wright has started to emerge for them. Michigan, J.J. McCarthy might be the most naturally talented starting quarterback in the big 10. And I say that as a huge CJ Stroud fan, uh, their pass catchers, Ronnie Bell, Roman Wilson, Cornelius Johnson, Luke Schoonmaker, like really good pass catchers in there. That stretch Penn state secondary is going to be tested, but I think Penn state secondary has the dudes to hold up. And then it's just going to, it could come down to what they're going to be able to do as a run defense. Uh, I will now say back to you, Nick, for your second reason for why Penn State can compete for the Big Ten. My next one is that, you know, I think 
the run game each week has continued to get better. And it's also continued to get more diverse. Now, I know that this past week was not as flashy as the two weeks prior, and that's because Nicholas Singleton, you know, didn't do his thing this past week. But I think this offense is best served to have Catron Allen and Nicholas Singleton basically even on snaps because the vision that Catron Allen runs with is unmatched. Like that dude finds holes in the line. Then he finds three more holes between the linebackers and the secondary. Like he has impeccable, impeccable vision. And I, I know that Singleton struggled this week. We already talked about how that will be better for him in the long run. He's going to see it on tape and see how he left five, six yards on the table, and, but instead he tried to bounce it outside. But now teams understand that you, like, there's, and they probably did already, but there's no letdown if Singleton's not in there. Like, if anything, your job just became harder with Catron Allen in there because now you actually have to go make a tackle on this dude that runs with violence. Um, mm mm-hmm. I just, I love, and you know, and we saw more creative just sets they ran out of this week. I just, the run game is far from elite and perfect, but it's gets, it has taken a visible step forward every single week. And it's really cool to watch side note. Can we please come up with a better nickname? Because you know, somebody's going to start using thunder and lightning for Singleton and Allen. If they haven't already, we got, we've got to do better than that. It's just so overused. We've got to, Let's hmm. let's stew on that as we continue because we've got to do better than that. I I will put this on my list of things to do uh, going forward. But in the present, that is part of uh, my second reason for optimism, and that's just the high points that this offense is able to achieve. I think we saw with the running game uh, in that second half against Auburn, Penn State's offensive line just won every single time it seemed like. Penn State's running backs were able to get wherever they want. When K- In the second half against Central Michigan especially, uh, when Catron Allen started to really just take what the defense gave him, we saw them get into a little bit of a rhythm. And that was really – like I think that was a really good thing and it's something to build on going forward. Uh, when this running game is at its best, when Nick Singleton is getting out in space, when Catron Allen is planting his foot one cut and then going into a hole – I think it's really good. And then with the passing game, for what I mentioned about how uh, they struggle with those super big, explosive, game-changing plays, Sean Clifford is in the midst of his best season as Penn State starting quarterback. His first year as Penn State starter, 59.2%. Second year, 60.6%. Last year, 61%. This year, 64.1%. His QB rating, you know, it's just a tick over 2019, but it's the best that he has had in his career, eight to one turnover to interception ratio. And James Franklin said today about uh, Sean Clifford's demeanor this season, I think, I still think he's having a ton of fun with competing and being being a leader, but he's just more even keeled. He's not getting too high or too low. I think he's reduced the number of plays that he would like to have back, and he's being a little more level. You look at what he has done uh in terms of his total touchdowns, how he's not turning the ball over, uh, how he's contributing a lit, basically on the ground, finishing drives with his legs, uh, which is where his 12 total touchdowns come from. And Franklin said, it's all stuff that is good, but it's stuff that he thinks he can improve on. And the glimpses that we've had of Sean Clifford at his best this season have been pretty good. Uh, that last drive against uh, Purdue is one that sticks out. Those first two drives against 
uh, Central Michigan. They stick out. Uh, he, there were a few drops in the Central Michigan game where he put balls in good places and guys just couldn't come up with them. When this offense is at its best, I don't think it's the best in college football or anything like that. But I do think it's a really good, really solid unit. It is 33rd in offensive SP+. If they could be 33rd in offensive SP+, plus for the entire season, I will be overjoyed. But I think there's a way that they could be better at that. So that's just yeah. – so I, I think consistency in the offense is going to be a big thing because when they are so at their best, you know, I don't think it's going to be a situation where – uh, you know, you look at last year's team and the lulls that last year's team went through on offense. I don't think they're putting up only 17 points against a team like Michigan, uh, 17 points, 223 yards they had against Michigan last year. I don't think that's the sort of thing they do. Uh, 24 points, 394 yards against Ohio State. Sure, that's nice, but I think they could be better than that with how they can run the ball. So just like that, that's basically where I land uh, on that. Nick, your third reason for optimism. Yeah, for me, it's just that there is still so much more growth that could happen. Mm-hmm. You know, just run down like the main the main spots. We already talked about the secondary, but you look at the linebackers. Kobe King is four games into his collegiate career, and he's already getting better with every snap. Curtis Jacobs, four games into his career as a will linebacker, and he's been more and more impactful each week. Abdul Carter is... <laughs> really three games into his career since Purdue was, we were robbed of that one. Um, But then, you know, look at the defensive ends, chop Robinson, four games into his career as a true, like hand in the dirt defensive end. And he is currently the highest rated edge rusher by pro football focus. As always, I'm not going to let you praise uh, site pro football focus. As always, pro football focus is correct. When it confirms your priors, when it doesn't, it is incorrect. No, 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 Adisa Isaac still coming back from injury only four games into that like Hakeem Beeman didn't play last year still continuing to get his feet wet PJ Mustafer coming back from injury still continuing to get reacclimated look at the young receivers I already talked about Amari Evans I think he's still on the upswing Parker Washington you know they haven't even really used him yet like there's still room to grow in that regard Keandre Lambert Smith can still get better. Mitchell Tinsley is still learning the offense. Um, the running backs, Katron Allen, Nick Singleton, still getting better. Brenton Strange t- really taking a step forward now and really unlocking more of what he can do. And we haven't seen the offense with Theo Johnson be involved basically at all yet. And he was one of the best pass catchers on the team last year. There's still so many opportunities for this team to get so much better. Even if they don't, even if they level off here, this is still a really, really good football team that still has the capability of winning the conference. But if they can just take a few steps forward in some of those places, this could be a really, really dangerous team. So there is just still so much more that could happen. And for me, that's that's the last reason. Real quick, uh, who do you think are Penn State's top two in uh, sacks this season? Hmm. In sacks. Uh, I think, well, I know, so Deny Dennis Sutton had two last game, and I think he had one or in an earlier game, so he's got three, so he might be one of them. He is number one. Yeah. Um, number two, I, uh, is it Chop? It's Johnny Dixon. Oh, I was going to... All right. Go with your gut next time, Nick. Come on. So my my third thing is that Penn State has gotten two of it, 
two of its three biggest road tests out of the way. And its third biggest road test is going to be out of the way on October 15th. In those two, even if, you know, Purdue and Auburn might not be, uh, you know, eh, you know, I, I don't think Purdue's a bad team. I think Aiden O'Connell's injuries has taken a lot of the air out of them. And still, that was a really tough environment to walk into. Purdue, they're they're pretty snake bit right now. Yeah, yeah. Purdue thirty sixth in SP plus, Auburn thirty eighth in SP plus. So Penn State's got those two top forty road games out of the way, and both of them were wins. Going down the rest of the schedule at Michigan on October fifteenth, at Indiana on November fifth, at Rutgers on November 19th. And that's it for road games for this Penn State team. I am always going to feel like Penn State has a chance, a very good chance, when they are playing a game at home. You look at what this team has just been able to do at home over the years, how Beaver Stadium is one of college football's toughest road environments. I just am always going to feel good, even if I think Minnesota and Ohio State are two sensational football teams. Last season, Penn State lost two home games. One was the cursed nine-overtime game to Illinois, and then one's, one was a four-point loss to a Michigan team that was better than them. Oh. Uh, you go... A game they had you know, won. Yes. 2020, throw a bit of an asterisk on that. Then you go into 2019... They did not lose a home game that season. 2018, they lost to Ohio State in the final seconds. That was it. Uh, 2018, they lost to Ohio State and uh, Michigan State. 2017, uh, they did not lose a home game. 2016, they did not lose a home game. Even 2015, the worst team that James (laughs) Franklin has had at Penn State, they only lost one home game, and it was to Michigan. year before that, they lost to Northwestern. At home, they lost to Ohio State in double overtime. At home, they lost to Maryland. Like that team was was a bit snake bit. But after Penn State has had a legitimate home field advantage over the years, and they are going to have two of their three toughest opponents at home, and just the rest of the schedule, the way it breaks down: one, two, three, four, five home games versus three road games. Two of those road games, you know, I'm not going to guarantee Penn State wins. Like I mentioned earlier, if they're on a three-game losing streak going into Bloomington, I'm not going to feel especially good. But ESPN's FPI is Penn State has an 84% chance to beat Indiana as of right now and an 88% chance to beat Rutgers as of right now. I like that fact. I think that is something that gives me a ton of optimism about this Penn State team because, you know, let's get weird. Let's say... They are able to beat Michigan in Ann Arbor. Again, a thing I don't think is going to be able to, I don't think is going to happen. All of a sudden, this is a Penn State team that is going to be ranked probably in the top five or six of college football. You look at the teams ahead of them. I think they'd hop NC State. I think they'd hop Oklahoma State, I think it's possible they hop Tennessee and Kentucky if they beat Michigan. And then it gets into the Georgia, Alabama, Clemson, USC portion, which you know, made, I don't think Penn State is able to break into that. So top seven-ish Penn State team against a Minnesota team that probably isn't as good as Michigan, and then an Ohio State team that is as good as Michigan or better than Michigan, but it's still at home. That's something that I think that they, you know, it gives them maybe a little extra incentive against Michigan, where if you're able to win that game and you are able to make this the toughest road environment in college football, I think that's something that James Franklin's co are going to feel really good about. 
Uh, last thing I'm going to mention, this is more of an X factor than anything. Nick, and this is just what Penn state has been able to do with turnovers so far this season, uh, both in terms of forcing them, uh, and not allowing them. Penn state is fourth nationally in a uh, turnover margin per game. They have picked off four passes. They have gained five fumbles. They haven't lost a fumble this season. They have thrown one interception this season. So that levels out a bit. Maybe that's a bit does, of a worry. Does that but... say how many times they have fumbled? I know they haven't lost any, but I... Because off the top um, of my head, I know there was the Katron Allen... Or not the, the uh, Katron Allen, the Kevon Lee one that, you know, if it had been reviewed, probably wouldn't have been a fumble. Um, just curious if it says huh. that on there. Fumbles lost. Let me see if I can find it here. Uh, okay. Penn State has fumbled twice this season. Okay. So, it, you know... If they're if they're able to keep that up, I'm going to feel pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to feel very good. Uh, if that levels out, maybe that's a bit of an issue. But it does seem like they they specifically coach ball security and trying to force turnovers. So mm-hmm. I'm uh, just going to put a little asterisk on like that. That's one of those things that I think it's worth uh, dog earing and tracking and following throughout the season because I think sure. that you know turnover margin is one of those things where areas where you can get a huge marginal advantage over other teams and it seems like Penn State is actively trying to get that. Iowa's been doing it for years. Give me a second. Uh Iowa only seven turnovers forced this season. Five interceptions and two fumbles. Come on, get uh get your money up, broke boys. That's terrible. Uh <laughs> all right, so Nick, I think that's it for this edition of the podcast. Are there any final things uh you want to say before we start to turn our focus to Northwestern? No, I don't think so. It's you know, it is a really a really fun opening month of the season for Penn State. Just really impressed, really excited about what is, you know, what's ahead for the rest of the season. Yeah, this has turned into a, you know, this is so far been the best case scenario for Penn State football through this stretch of the season. And here's hoping they can uh, continue to ride that high. Thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the pod. As always, make sure you're subscribing wherever you go to get your podcast, head to the link tree link in our Twitter account to find everywhere you can get the podcast. Of course, if you use Apple podcast, Spotify, any place that lets you leave a review, please go and leave a five-star review. If you're watching this on YouTube, head into the YouTube comments, Talk about Penn State football with one another. Be cool. Don't be mean. YouTube comment sections really mean let's be a little bit better than most YouTube comment sections. And you have been. Uh, You all have been awesome. You all have been. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Make sure you're following us on our aforementioned Twitter account. And thank you again to Roar, uh, not to Roar Lions, Roar. That's us. Home Field Apparel for sponsoring this edition of the pod. As always, make sure you are using the promo code ROARLIONSROAR, one word, all uppercase, for 15% off of your first order with Home Field Apparel. One last time, thank you everyone for listening to this edition of the podcast. For Nick Pollock, I'm Bill DeFilippo. Take care, everyone. Go State.